Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. It's lovely to be with you this morning. Laura, thank you for reading. Well done for those names. They are not easy ones. <laughs> it's at 10 o'clock in the morning, especially. Um, it's lovely to be with you. Some of you I know already. I've met you at the Tier Fund quiz. And uh, all saints, we're still smarting a bit from that because Hay was Heath Baptist Church 1. Um, so we'll have a rematch next year. Don't you worry. And I also, um, I've met Fee, Fee McLaughlin, who I can't see at the moment, but Fee came, there she is, Fee came and joined us at All Saints for a few weeks, uh, Monday evenings or Thursday evenings, as, as we as a church, we're thinking about our culture, um, what kind of church should we be, how can we be a safe and healthy church culture, and we're very grateful to Fee for helping us to do that. Um, but if we've not met, my name is Steve, I'm the vicar at All Saints in Linfield, Steve Nichols. not been there for long, um, only about 18 months. Uh, my wife, Katie, and we've got four children, uh, we, came, uh, we were living in Oxford Circus, uh, so a bit, bit different West End to West Sussex, but we're loving finding our way around here, getting to know the area, meeting people, and um, it's just a joy to be with other Christians. Whatever our church labels and, and, and backgrounds, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus, so um, thank you for welcoming me here this morning. If you've got a Bible, you'd find it helpful to turn to Daniel chapter 1. If you've got one on your phone, or you've actually got if you're old school like me and you've got a paper Bible, please do turn to Daniel 1. We're going to look at it for a few minutes together. And uh, why don't I pray that the Lord would help us to understand what we read as we, as we do that. Heavenly Father, Lord, here we are and we ask that you would help us to understand your word. Give us ears to hear it. Lord, give us hearts to believe it. And Lord, you know what this week ahead holds for each one of us. And we pray that you would prepare us for that and speak to us this morning, Lord. Change us. Help us to imitate the courage um, and the commitment of Daniel and his friends and to serve you, the King of Kings. We ask this for your namesake. Amen. Okay, so Daniel chapter 1. I've got a few slides so you don't have to look at me all the time. There we go, I'm not sure. If perhaps somebody could advance the first slide for us, that'd be great. Thank you. There we are. So, I don't know if you've heard of the blood tax. The, I, people's eyes already, what, the blood tax, what a start. The blood tax was imposed, it was a tax imposed in the Ottoman Empire, the Turkish Empire, on Christians in Eastern Europe. Christian boys between the age of eight and 18 were forcibly taken away, if they met certain standards of appearance and ability, they were forcibly taken away from their families and converted to Islam to serve the Turkish Ottoman Empire. And that was the idea, to train up a new generation of, of civil servants, if you like, um, to serve this other kingdom. And many of these young boys joined what was called the Janissary Corps, which was an elite fighting force. And that Janissary Corps, you can find pictures of them all over Google, they went on until the 19th century. And they were sort of, um, their ranks were swelled by this blood tax. And there are all kinds of moving accounts that you can read of families as they waved goodbye to their boys, not knowing that they would ever see them again. How would they their Christian children survive? Would their faith survive? What could they do? Well, parents knew that there was very little they could do except to pray. One thing they did do 
is that they taught their boys a sign, simple sign. They couldn't take their Bibles with them, all that sort of stuff. They taught them a sign, three fingers together to remind them of the God who is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Two fingers together to remind them of Jesus, fully God and fully man. It's not much, but it's all they could do. And would their faith survive as they were taken away? Well, I've got one or two pictures. Here we go. There they are being taught. Parents are saying goodbye. Well, it wasn't so many years ago that ISIS in Syria reintroduced the blood tax. I don't know if you were aware of that. But actually, it's not even that far away. Imagine us living in a culture that is really hostile to the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine living in a culture like that. Imagine sending your children off tomorrow to a place where they're taught a worldview and values which are so different to the Christian gospel. Where forces beyond your control try to form them and shape them and give them a new identity. Imagine tomorrow you went to work in a place where everybody else in your workplace thought differently from you and worshipped different gods, different values. Well, we don't have to imagine, do we? (laughs) Because that is the world we live in. That is the society that we live in day by day. In fact, it's been the situation that Christians have have always lived in. And in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter reminds us that as followers of Jesus, we are strangers and exiles in this world. Well, I don't know if you are, we don't know one another, I don't know if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ or not. If you aren't, this passage that we're going to look at this morning draws a very clear line and says, which side of the line are you on? Which kingdom do you belong to? Which king do you worship and serve? So here we are in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 1, and there are two cities named Babylon and Jerusalem. There they are. I don't know if you can see them on the map there. Um, Throughout the Bible, Jerusalem is the earthly counterpart of Zion, God's heavenly city. And Babylon, throughout the Bible, is a city built on human pride, humanity reaching up for God. And it stands for opposition to God, rebellious opposition to Christ. And if you're a Christian this morning, the book of Daniel shows you how to live as a citizen of Jerusalem in the midst of Babylon. How to live as a citizen of God's kingdom in the midst of a very pagan, hostile culture. The book of Daniel shows us how we can be followers of Jesus Christ when everything is against us, when the world turns against us. And in the first half of the book, you zoom in on just a handful of believers with very difficult names. And we're just going to look at the first chapter this morning and the stand that they make. But let me ask you, can your Christian beliefs cope when everything goes wrong? Can your understanding of life cope when a disaster strikes you or your family? Or is your Christian faith just one question away from giving up? Just one diagnosis, as we heard, 
earlier on from John, uh, of giving up. Very few events have happened in the history of the world that have changed entire civilizations. Yeah, we might think, oh, 9-11? Was that one of those? Maybe. But nothing really like what happened at the beginning of chapter 1, of Daniel chapter 1. See, since the beginning of her life, Israel had known the presence of the Lord God himself. He had dwelt in the temple with them. But then, in verses 1 and 2, all that is thrown into question. If you've got a Bible there, have a look down at verses 1 and 2. A new Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, sweeps down, attacks the city of Jerusalem in the first of three raids, and carries off back to, to Babylon with him articles from the temple. And it looks as if Babylon has won. Game over. They're the winners. And in this country, too, where we live, if you listen to certain voices, you would think Babylon has won. The Christian church has lost. There's been a huge cultural shift, hasn't there, in our land over the last generation or so. We're living in a society much more openly hostile to Christ than for centuries. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, um, maybe you worry about your children or your grandchildren. And what kind of world and society are they growing up into? How are they going to survive? How are they going to keep going? Listen to certain voices and you'd be tempted to give up. I was lying in bed this morning with the news on the radio and I thought, why am I listening to this? It's so depressing. <laughs> I don't even feel like getting out of bed anymore. Um, we feel like giving up sometimes, don't we? Pay attention to Daniel's explanation in verse 2, though, and you get a very different picture. Have a look down at verse 2. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. You see, the Lord is in charge, and we see that again and again through the book of Daniel. And Daniel means God is judge. God is judge. God is my judge. That's what it means. And you, as you read through the book of Daniel, you see that, that God puts down nations and raises up nations, puts down empires and raises up others. And so this book is about how to live confidently as subjects of him in this world, knowing that he's in charge. But let's not underestimate how hard it was for Daniel and his friends. They were teenagers. If they were Hayward's Heath Baptist Church, they'd have just gone out. <laughs> they'd have been with the youth group or the children's group. They were youngsters. And they were marched 500 miles away to Babylon in what's now Iraq. Long way away from home. Different language, different culture, different religion, different worldview. Now, I wonder what their parents thought as they waved them goodbye. If you're a parent here, you know that you are the biggest influence on your children's Christian faith. All that we do on, in churches on a Sunday morning is supplementary. As parents, we cannot outsource our discipleship to the church. It happens in home day to day. It happens as we pray with our children and read the Bible with them, as we model our Christian faith to them, in front of them. They are picking it up and absorbing it. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, we're the biggest influence on our children's life. I remember hearing somebody say, I, I don't want to read the Bible with my children. I want them, them to decide for themselves when they're older. I don't want to influence them like that. Well, folks, the culture isn't waiting. The culture is discipling our children. 
whether we realize it or not. They are being discipled in the ways of Jerusalem or Babylon. It's up to us as parents to say, no, we're going to do all that we can. We're going to pray and bring them up as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here they are, these four young men, the famous four, we'll call them, and they were taken away into exile, a long way away, and everything is designed to re-educate them. Their identities are being deliberately dismantled. Their faith is being systematically targeted and undermined. So God's word, we read, is replaced by pagan literature and learning. The Hebrew language they would have needed to read the scriptures. Well, now they're taught a new language, that of Babylon. Verse 4, we're told they're taught the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the Chaldeans, as you read through the book of Daniel, are a very dodgy bunch, all mixed up in the occult. Very dark, sorcery and magic and so on. So these young teenagers are taught by people deeply entangled in some very dark things. And they have a three-year program with one end in view, to convert them, to change them. And it got very personal for them. There's nothing more personal than your name, is there? You know, your mum and dad give you your name, most of us anyway. But even their names are taken away from them. And their Hebrew names, in verse 6, all had El or Yah in them, which means God or the Lord. But those names are taken away from them. I think, put them up on the screen, maybe. There we are, look. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, the Ah and the, and the El. They're given new names. God is my judge becomes protected by Bel. In other words, not the God who's in charge, it's Bel. Hananiah, the Lord is gracious, without us having to do anything, becomes Shadrach, Aku's command. You can see them there on the screen. Mishael, who's like God, becomes Meshach, the one who belongs to the king. And Azariah, the Lord has helped, becomes Abednego, slave of the god Nebo. Even to speak their old names would have been such an encouragement to one another, wouldn't it? It'd be like speaking the gospel to each other, reminding them of the Lord and his promises. But all that's taken away from them, and they're given these new pagan names. And how are they going to respond? What are they going to do? Well, our key verse today is verse 8. we go. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. What's that about? Look what Daniel doesn't do, first of all, very quickly. Daniel doesn't retreat into a little subculture with his three friends. We might do that sometimes, mightn't we? We think, well, we'll just, we'll just batten down the hatches we won't engage, we'll just retreat, we'll do what we will, just survive. Second, Daniel doesn't separate his public life from his private life. He doesn't go to work on a Monday morning and say, well, I can blend in, with, I'm going to have to blend in with the Babylonians, otherwise I'm going to lose my job and it's going to be a disaster. But in my heart, I still worship the Lord. We do that sometimes, don't we? I can't possibly go public as a Christian at work. But at church, I can be myself. He doesn't do that. Third, he doesn't engage in a culture war with Babylon. As the book goes on, 
you'll see Daniel using his opportunities to speak about the Messiah, about Christ, the Son of Man, and influencing others for him. And the Lord honors that. Daniel lives in a very hostile culture, but he's confident to understand it. He's not threatened by what he reads and what he hears, by the language and the learning. He engages with it and takes it on. He knows the Lord is real and the Lord is true, so he's on the front foot. He doesn't have to retreat. So why the food and wine? That's the question. Why does he refuse royal food and wine? Well, eating is such a big deal in the Bible. Have you ever noticed that? It's a big deal in church life, isn't it? As we have bread and wine together, it's a big deal throughout the Bible. And it, even in our culture, just generally, food is quite a, almost has a spiritual significance in some people's lives, doesn't it? So um, I went on the internet the other day and I googled diets. And this is what I came up with. There is a diet called the Maker's Diet, okay, which I quote is a 40-day health experience. It's not just a diet, it's a health experience. And um, foodstuffs in this health experience are natural and unprocessed. Meat, poultry, and fish are allowed as long as they're organic and free-range and as long as they follow the clean food laws of Leviticus 11. So you're in Sainsbury's. In Hayward Heath, you've got your Bible open, you're like, ah, I don't know about that one. <laughs> Another popular diet is the Hallelujah Diet. I know. Foods to be avoided include, wait for it, all alcohol, coffee, tea, soft drinks, all dairy products, beef, pork, chicken, fish, saturated oils and fats, lard, margarine, table salt, packaged and canned goods. I mean, I would say there's not much to say Hallelujah about with that one, wouldn't you? And believe it or not, there's a Daniel plan diet where, based on verse 8, and it says it's guaranteed to deliver results, although it doesn't take 10 days, it takes 52 weeks. <laughs> um, anyway, make your own mind up about that one. But why does Daniel go on this special program? Well, it's not to lose weight. It's not to detox or anything like that, to eat his way to a happier life in Babylon. Why does he do it? Some people have said that the food from the king's table would have been ceremonially unclean. So, according to the food laws in, in Leviticus, Daniel might not be able to have control of much of his life, but he can at least have control of what he eats. So maybe that's why he does it. He draws a line there. Maybe that's right. But it doesn't explain why he doesn't have the wine. Some people have said... Um, Maybe the food from the king's table would have been offered to idols, first of all. And so Daniel won't defile himself by that. He won't eat food that's been offered to these pagan idols. And maybe that's, maybe that's right. Though he's happy to eat vegetables and all that sort of thing, which presumably would have been offered there as well. I don't know. Daniel, as a mature believer, would have known that idols aren't really anything and that these gods aren't really anything that he's free to eat it without defiling himself. I don't know, maybe, maybe that's the reason. But I wonder if it's something else. See, who we eat with says a lot about who our friends are. You invite your friends around for dinner, don't you? You have a meal, you enjoy one another's company, you have fellowship together. And in the Bible, it's the same. It says who our fellowship is with, where our loyalties really lie table fellowship. 
So King David of Israel, remember King David? When he wanted to show favor to his friend Jonathan, Jonathan had a son called Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth couldn't walk. And David wanted to show favor to Mephibosheth. And he, he promised him, I'll give you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. He's saying, you'll always be my friend. You'll always eat at my table. Or do you remember Elijah and the prophets of Baal when they have the big interfaith dialogue on Mount Carmel? Do you remember that, the confrontation? And Elijah describes the 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah as those who eat at Jezebel's table. You know, they had fellowship with Jezebel, that sort of thing. Or what about, of course, supremely, the Lord Jesus on the night he's betrayed. He's at supper with his friends, and he says to them, to his disciples, I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. So you may have fellowship with me. You may be friends with me. See, the issue for Daniel is who does he have fellowship with, really? Where do his loyalties really lie? So he says, change my name. Teach me new language. Teach me new literature. Take me away from my home. Try and indoctrinate me any way you can, but I eat from another table. I serve another king. Not you, Nebuchadnezzar. And I just wonder for us today, as we go into a new week, where do we need to draw the line? Where do we need to show our loyalty to Christ? For each of us, it's going to be a different, different way tomorrow. But where is it for you? For Daniel, it was, it was wine and food from the king's table. That was it. Are you maybe the only Christian in your family? Or the only Christian in your workplace? Maybe it's at school. How do you live in Babylon while being a citizen of Jerusalem? Maybe the most basic step for some of us is going to be to let other people know that we're Christians. Maybe there are people you work with, live with, who don't even know you're a Christian. And the first step is just to say, look, I'm a Christian. Do you know how to do that if you've never done that before? As you say to the person tomorrow what did you do at the weekend? And they say, oh, I went... And if they're polite, they'll say, and how about you? What did you do? And you say, well, I'm a Christian. I went to church. Oh, conversation might end there. Fine. (laughs) They now know. Next time, you can say a little bit more. Sometimes we think that we haven't shared the gospel unless we've given them a great splurge and told them everything. That's not true. Often it's just little bits, isn't it? Take an opportunity, say what you can, pray for another opportunity, say a bit more. But maybe tomorrow it starts with just acknowledging you're a Christian. And maybe you want to pray with someone sitting next to you about that this morning before you go. Pray for courage for that. So Daniel doesn't give us a blueprint for how to sort of live in every situation. Um, But right at the start, he makes it clear that he serves another lord And it's easier to make a stand at the start than years down the line. But it's better late than never if we've never done it. 
Well, we know what happened. We, we've read it. Daniel and his friends are tested for 10 days. The raw food and wine's taken away from them. Um, they're given vegetables and water. And at the end of the 10 days, they look better and healthier than all the others. And they're brought into the king's service at the end of the three years because the king tests them. Verse 17, God gave them learning and skills in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel can understand dreams and visions. And as you read through Daniel, maybe on your own, you'll see how important that is going to be later on in the story. And when the three years are up, the king finds them ten times better than all the other magicians and advisors in his whole kingdom. And there they are. They enter the king's service. And God has his people in place for what's going to happen. Now, there's no guarantee that if we're loyal to Christ, if we go public at work, there's no guarantee that we're going to get to the top of the tree. Surprise, surprise. In fact, probably the reverse. If we tell our friends that we're Christians and we try and help them to become Christians and know Jesus, we may find our relationships, we may find our relationships suffering. There's no guarantee that, that everything you touch is going to turn to gold. But whatever happens, it's in the Lord's hands. We're just called to put him first, to live for him and to leave the rest to him. If these famous four, hadn't been faithful to the Lord at the start in this little thing, they would never have been able to stand for him later on with the fiery furnace and the lion's den and all the other great events of the book of Daniel. And sometimes we might think, oh, you know, when the crunch time comes, I will be loyal to Jesus. I will stand for him. I will never give up. But actually, if we're not faithful in the little things, why do I think I'm going to be faithful when the big time comes? It starts with the little resolutions and the little decisions day by day. But Daniel lasts. We're told at the very end of the chapter, he's there until the first year of King Cyrus. And that is the year that the exile ended. In other words, Daniel's there from the beginning of the exile all the way through to the end. He's there. When the Babylonian kingdom falls in a night, He's there. When the next kingdom comes in, he's there. At the end of history, when all the empires and all the kingdoms, whether they're political or corporate, whatever they are, when they all come down, you will be there if you trust in Jesus Christ because his kingdom will last forever. So as I say, if you're not a Christian, our passage draws a sharp line and we stand on one side of it or the other. Which kingdom do you belong to? Which king do you serve? I'm sure if you're not a Christian, those around you would love to chat with you. Maybe somebody you came to church with this morning would love to try and explain a little bit about their faith and their story, how they came to know the Lord Jesus. Just as I finish, there was a missionary in India called Leslie Newbigin. I don't know if you, you've heard of his name. Came back from India, and he talked about a conversation he had with a Hindu there. And the Hindu said to him, I can't understand why you missionaries present the Bible to us in India as just a book of religion. I find in your Bible a unique interpretation of human history, he said. The whole of human history is in here. The history of the whole creation, the history of the human race. He said there is nothing else in all the religion, li religious literature of the whole world to put alongside it. 
And at the center of it all, Daniel would say, is the kingdom of God. At the center of it all is the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's our key verse this morning. Daniel resolved. Daniel resolved. How to live as a citizen of Jerusalem in Babylon. Shall we pray? And then I think we're going to sing one more song. But let me lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us this courage that you gave Daniel and his three friends Lord, to live as citizens of your kingdom in this present hostile world. And Lord, as we pray for ourselves here, we pray for Christian brothers and sisters all around the world where it's so much harder, under huge pressure. Pray that you would fill them and us with your Holy Spirit to live and speak for Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords this week, knowing that we eat from another table. We have fellowship with another king, one whose kingdom will last forever and ever. So we pray these things in his mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, I think we're going to sing again. Um, song picking up on our theme this morning.